AVXL episode 189 was recorded on July 30th, 2022. UHD Blu-ray player recos what is color saturation anyhow? Value Electronics 2022 shootout is on. Which deck am I using? There's a new audio show and quite a bit more. Don't forget to email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you. Thank you. Seriously, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton from somewhere in North Platte, Nebraska. And coming to you from somewhere in the Bay Area, California, (laughs) United States of America, I am Robert Heron. I was laughing because nobody started using weed eaters until we literally started counting into this show. (laughs) So if you hear some uh, ambient noise in the background, I apologize. It's okay. Editing helps. <laughs> so there's a, a bunch of crazy stuff going on. Uh, first of all, thank you to everybody who participated in our uh, viewer hangout this week. That is for our 10 and $20 subscribers. Um, we normally open it up to folks at the lower tiers if there's a lot of space available in the hangout. Um, we're going to try our next one on Discord. Rob's going to help me set that up. And we're going to do that on August 14th. So Keep an eye on uh, Patreon, and also do do me a favor, please, 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 please. If you got an email from my personal account asking you if you are getting Patreon notifications, do me a favor and let me know if you are, because we're trying to sort out some joy. We have a joyful opportunity <laughs> to deliver a better experience for you, our subscribers on Patreon. A few small tweaks, and it will be even easier to hang out with us. That's the goal. So uh, I blew up the engine in my truck. Well, hopefully I didn't blow it up. But I bring this up because I borrowed my friend's uh, diesel truck because I am bringing something back from beautiful Reno, Nevada. And uh, I just want to say once again, noise cancellation is truly wonderful in headphones when you're driving somebody else's incredibly loud diesel truck. Or your own, for that matter. Or a Pensy rental truck. It is good to protect the hearing in those situations. Also, uh, you just feel less abused by the end of it. Now I understand why people wear, you know, hearing protection in uh, in server rooms where there's like twenty two thousand servers oh. with their fans going at eleven billion RPM. Yeah, so. I mean, realistically, if you have to talk loud in order to be heard or to hear someone, right. so to speak, uh, you probably should have some form of hearing protection on if you're going to be exposed in that environment for any length of time. Yes, ideally more than a few minutes, even. You know, the older we get, it's kind of like lead exposure. The older we get, the lower the numbers on, you know, how loud it can be and how long you can listen to it. They keep shifting those down. My peak frequency so, is dropping quickly. Oh <laughs> Save <goodness>. what I can. <laughs> so uh, our friend Caleb Dennison uh, over at Digital Trends hopefully is having a good weekend because right now he is at the legendary Value Electronics TV shootout. The 2022 edition is taking place this weekend, July 30th and 31st. This is exciting. What? Uh, who are com- Who's competing for the prize? <laughs> I, at least for us here in North America, the USA specifically, it's the same group, it seems, almost every year. In this case, we have LG, right. Samsung, and Sony 
for the first day, it's going to be just the 4K TVs. And then for tomorrow's wrap-up, it will include three 8K TVs that are currently available as far as the shootout goes. All of these are going to be compared to something exquisite like the Sony Pro Monitor, likely the uh, BVM HX310 LCD, which is a Pro Monitor that can do up to 1,000 nits, and it has really nice presets for your SDR and HDR either work or just viewing experience. It's a great reference monitor to have to actually take a look at that and then see how some of these premium TVs compare to that display. And in this case, they're gonna be looking at a combination of OLED TVs, like say the LG G2, uh, as far mm -hmm. as Samsung's 4K LCD offerings, uh, it will be the QN95B. They will also have the Samsung S95B, the Quantum Dot OLED TV, and Sony's A95K, in addition to their X95K, which is their mini LED LCD TV in the 4K option for 2022. Uh, for 8K, the three TVs they're going to be featuring will be LG's Z2 or Z2 Signature Series 8K OLED TV, the Samsung QN900B that I mentioned a few, couple of weeks ago. It is a wonderful display I've had some hands-on time with, in addition to Sony's XR Z9K Master Series 8K Mini LED TV. And as far as the premium battle goes, that's a pretty good lineup coming up for tomorrow. This is a long-standing tradition. This is a small shop or a regional shop, not a national chain. This is an incredibly you know, respected grouping coming together. Are they calibrating these? Are they, are they generating you know, gammas on these? Or are they just comparing them side by side? How does it work, Rob? They give all of these TVs the most equal footing possible by setting them up in a room that's appropriate to be viewing these TVs in. In terms of the lighting, it's a, a well-light controlled room. In addition, these are also calibrated rather nicely, so they're all equivalent in terms of giving their best face forward in right. terms of performance. Then the judges are, I believe, selected from the industry and within the calibrator groups out there and also some convenience too and who is actually available to get some eyes on time for this demo as well. I find the results end up being something that you can really depend on in terms of if you're looking for the very best, either in a 4K or an 8K design for 2022, what they come up with when this is said and done is going to be something uh, exceptional, I have no doubt. And I'll be curious to see if there's any one that ends up being just a, a significant step above the others, or if they're all right. fairly evenly matched overall, except for some minor quirks here and there. Uh, that's where it really gets kind of interesting for me is seeing the, the final scoring sheet, which seems to come out a few days after this event is over. <laughs> and you get to see the, uh, the nitty gritty in terms of the numbers that they're going for. Uh, one that jumped out at me real quick in terms of the 4K models, they mentioned the Samsung QN95B. I was aware of the QN90B, but I didn't know about the QN95B. And I was just curious about what the difference was between those. The QN95B makes use of Samsung's One Connect external input box. So you have all of the connections and inputs on this separate box with a single cable running power and video to the display itself for a really nice clean look. And it also has more capable speakers. Uh, but hmm. picture wise, it should be and is proven to be so far identical to the QN90B. It's just more about the inputs and the speakers and the fancy external input box. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the accessories that come with it right. are a little bit more premium, but apparently... But what we're seeing, like ratings in other places are like, these are virtually indistinguishable when they benchmark them. 
Totally. And I was just happy to actually see that because I wasn't aware that they were going to offer uh, a 4K TV that was going to use that one connect box. I thought that was being reserved exclusively for TVs like their QN900B, that 8K quantum dot TV, LCD TV that they're actually competing with this weekend at the Value yes. Electronics 2022 TV shootout. Yeah, they've been doing that shootout, I guess, since 2007. Mm -hmm. One thing I really appreciate about this particular event is that it is one of the premier electronics stores in the United States that tends to get the earliest shipments of the TVs when right. they arrive. He's actually getting retail boxed units that you know eventually will end up in customers' hands. That's really a nice way to do it. These are uh, products that you could go into a store and actually buy today yeah. if you really wanted to. They're not selected for their particular awesomeness or tuned no. to be something better than you might normally find out of the box. It's a good thing. Save for the calibration that happens to each one of them, just right. to make sure everything is as good as it can be for, you know, you're talking about some big it display is, manufacturers and you want to give yeah. them the best, the best footing possible in terms of this competition and, and placement and the chance they have at coming out on top. Right. It's a good thing. Got to check your TV settings no matter what. Oh, we had a, a good question from Sirpy and several other folks uh, posted on uh, messages on Patreon. And the question comes down to basically one thing. What does Rob mean, or anyone for that matter, when they talk about a television or a projector having color saturation or well-saturated colors? I like to think of it mostly as color purity. And by that, I would say if you can picture color mixing, if you take like, say, pure red, uh, pure red in terms of like a laser like wavelength. When you start breaking down color from a like an art perspective, it's hue, it's value and uh, it's like the chroma is the saturation, which is to say how colorful the area is compared to the brightness because you can make a color brightness and lower its saturation but what you want to is if a tv is getting particularly bright you don't want the the brightness to come at the expense of the saturation or the accuracy or the deepness of the colors right because a, a blown out pale yellow is not the same thing as a deep rich yellow when I think of color saturation, I immediately think of the standard CIE color chart. And at the center right. of that chart is white. And then the further you move out toward the very edge, the richer the color becomes, the more pure it is, the, the less diluted you could think of. If you were thinking of, say, mixing uh, in paint, at least, as far as color goes, uh, mixing a very pure color, like a pure red, with some white, you'll end up with something that's not so pure. It'll look more pinkish or desaturated or less intense in terms of that actual uh, shade goes. And that's what color saturation is for me. Uh, when I talk about this the most, it's when we talk about different display technologies and the different video right. formats we've been uh, experiencing over the last few years, moving from standard dynamic range to high dynamic range with formats like HDR10 and Dolby Vision, which can incorporate, when I say larger color palettes, I'm, I'm meaning more saturated colors. Technically, there is a limit to that. It would be laser-like light sources at specific wavelengths, like a wavelength for red or that range that we consider red, and having it be that pure, where there is no other wavelength involved. It is a single wavelength of light, uh, realistically speaking. Or is it not? Is it a blend of something else? Uh, a combination of colors coming together that would be less saturated. When I talk about something like standard dynamic range color or the color we currently experience, 
you picture that level of color saturation. And then if we want to move up to something like DCI or the spec used in HDR, which is BT2020, both of those steps are increasingly more saturated. When you get to BT2020, it becomes laser-like. We've taken red, blue, and green as far as we can take it, uh, as far as color saturation goes. If you're more into the paint side of things, the analogy would be closer to, you could think of it as starting with just white, and then uh, say you add a few drops of red to it, it would become a, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it would become a pale red. Yeah, and as you added more color, it would become a darker red, and eventually it would be a red red. <laughs> and the difference with mixing light or additive color mixing is that the pinnacle of color saturation would be a laser-like light source, and that's kind oh, of wow. why we're moving in that direction. That is why the HD format, including Dolby Vision uh, and its color space, so to speak, that BT twenty twenty is so compelling is because it is laser-like in terms of how it's uh, defined. So if and when we get to actual TVs that can display that kind of color, uh, the only thing left from there would be just to simply make them brighter and more contrasty. But we will then have primary colors that are as saturated as we can possibly perceive. Uh, there isn't anything beyond that. And I've, yeah, I've now totally fell down this rabbit hole but anyway <laughs> well that's what rabbit holes are there for i have to ask the cc'd n1 tv a folding 4k led display 103 137 165 inch designs is this legit i mean what is this thing and is it actually designed for home use or is this for gigantic conference rooms and displays and stuff this is a folding design, which I think is the, in this case, this N1 version of the CC'd TV. Right. In this incarnation with the N1 design, what they've come up with is a TV that can retract up into a very beautiful aluminum column. A, yeah. Aluminum column that can fold itself into be part of the floor and get itself as out of the way as possible. They had an M1 design that would fold all the way into the floor. And I think the right. N is now uh, an updated version where it's like, okay, if you don't want to go to the expense of actually uh, carving out a hole in the floor for the whole unit to be resting inside of and then fold up out of, right. this instead is something designed to look very artistic when it's not in use, but at yeah. the same point, provide 4K resolution at very large screen sizes using an actual LED display, uh, very similar in technology like you see with those fancy outdoor billboards that blind you at night uh, and to do this they are actually creating this foldable design so we've seen tvs like samsung's the wall i mean let's pause here for a second yeah. right because it looks like a park bench when it's collapsed or when it's folded down it looks like a you know a big long box like two foot by two foot by like you know several feet long it starts to rotate up from this long horizontal box to a long vertical box and then five panels fold out that is pretty cool. It is you as know. much for this presentation as it is for anything. Rather than buy, sure. say, a fixed size screen, this is one that can unfold itself using that LED panel technology, like I was talking about, for outdoor billboards or outdoor displays in general. Like if you've ever gone to an event where they featured a large TV that you could watch. It's right. typically one of these LED lit displays or actual LEDs for the uh, subpixels, red, blue, Micro green. LEDs. In this case, it is using multiple panels that can unfurl itself right. from a very compact form 
to, you know, up to 165 inch diagonal in this 4K resolution, I think it is really just for the design itself. It is fantastic yeah. looking. And the fact that you would need something fairly sturdy in order to be able to pull this off effectively because you are taking right. multiple panels that are separate and bringing them together and then creating one quote unquote seamless display out of that. And that has to be well built, generally speaking. Uh, right. The mechanicals have to be perfect. Totally. It's going to be complicated, messy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And for the guts of this TV, it seems to be quite capable. It has 16-bit internal color processing. It supports HDR10, HDR10+. Uh, the claimed brightness was only 1,000 nits, which kind of surprised me, considering this is a true LED display. Right. Uh, that may be related to uh, heat or longevity or something like that. Depending on which size screen you get, uh, it will feature a different pixel pitch in terms of the actual LED sizes used. That was something I had a couple of questions about. Uh, the pixel pitch versus say the fill of the pixels. Either way, right. there's a good rule of thumb that says for every one millimeter of pixel pitch, you should be back at least eight feet. So considering that these TVs from uh, the CC N1 and the M1, I believe, both feature pixel pitches between 0.7 and 0.9 millimeter, that would mean that, say, from about six feet on, you could be that close to one of these screens without it just looking like a pixelated mess. So, and any I mean, this further is, this away from is, that, it's going to look pretty fantastic overall. Yeah. I mean, I'm really curious. Like, this is obviously designed to be sculptural. It's obviously designed totally. to go into massive rooms. You know, they use phrases like architectural, sculptural. Um, you know, what I'm really curious about is the, you know, as the TVs fold together, the quote on the, you know, will you see vertical lines between the panels? And uh, there's this section on the CC TV side for the N1. It says, CC's patented adaptive gap calibration makes the borders between the screen panels disappear to provide a perfectly seamless visual experience. And there's also a, a pair of 100-watt uh, speakers built oh, into the thing. True. I would be very curious to see this in real life. And I, and I also... You know, I look at this and I think, man, I hope they over-engineered the snot out of this thing um, because this is going to require a fair amount of torque to sort of elevate and fold out. Is there anything on the pricing on this? Exactly. <laughs> There's a... If you have to ask, you can't afford it. Yeah, um, it would not surprise me to see something like this uh, move close to six figures, if not six yeah. figures, uh, depending on that makes sense. the absolute quality. And it appears to be a very well-engineered device. It looks fantastic, yeah. whether it's the, deployed the, or not, and the brightness is there. Well, actually, well, a thousand—I mean, a thousand nits is nothing to sneeze at. I'm, I'm actually kind of fascinated. If you dig into the brochure for it, they show the CNC milled um, frame, which is essentially like a great big milled piece of aluminum. So they've obviously are working hard to kind of keep this thing from bending well as they put it a lifelong totally torsion free integrity <laughs> yeah. so i'm digging it i i would be very curious to see one of these in real life and uh and uh just to get a gander in it no kidding the design looks beautiful and yeah. i know it's expensive but surely it is very nice to look at, and even no just, matter what your budget is, if you're if you've got that six figure budget and you're just not a sitting in a dark room kind of person, 
this could be the solution for you. <laughs> I'm still waiting for somebody to offer like an LED tileable panel that you could put together yourself, rig it up for whatever aspect ratio you need, say for just even 16 by nine panels that you could tile out, say 10 for a certain size or, or 20 for a certain size, something like that. Right. Maybe those do exist and I am just unaware of them. Anyway. It's an interesting question. It's beautiful. It is. Uh, speaking of beautiful or at least theoretical or intriguing to me because I like volume knobs, um, and I, I forwarded this to uh, the crew at uh, JDS Labs uh, who make the Element, which has that big, beautiful volume knob on top of uh, a really fantastic amp and DAC for headphone or to power your power amplifier or your powered speakers. Uh, I mention all this because it's a company called Microchip, and it's the Max Touch Knob on Display Controller. So oh. it's essentially gives them the ability to put a knob. They call it the first automotive grade touchscreen controller family to natively support the detection and reporting of capacitive rotary encoders as well as mechanical switches on top of a touch panel. But essentially, um, they have like a picture of a, a high end audio device, and I don't think it's a real one, or maybe I'm just you know looking at the picture wrong. But essentially, it, it's a big aluminum heatsink filled audio chassis with a great big LED display on the front of it with an actual physical knob. The next thing they show is a uh, a microchip Panasonic mock-up with two ring-shaped knobs on it uh, controlling the uh, AC levels uh, HVAC on a car presumably and it's great because there's these rings and inside the rings are the actual temperature numbers that are being reported and I'm, I'm kind of really curious to see if and where and how these show up because I've seen some really fantastic displays put together for uh, all-in-one high-end sort of, you know, DAC streaming integrated amplifiers. So this is a way for them to actually, if they wanted to, uh, offer a knob on a otherwise touch display without having to put a hole yeah, through it? Exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, because I've seen a lot of sort of all-in-one, you know, it's an integrated amplifier, it's streaming, it's got an LED display. Um, like one of my favorites... Uh, from a design aesthetic, is Cambridge Audio's Evo. And it has a big, beautiful, well-engineered knob to the right of the display. There's kind of like the display, and a series of buttons, and the knob. This would allow them to do a larger display and integrate the knob into it. So uh, I like volume knobs. Every time I drive a vehicle without a volume knob, I think, or use a piece of gear without a volume knob, I'm automatically thinking like, you know, a knob would be nice here. Ah, here's, um, a, here's a good quote from this article. Uh, the ease of building a sealed human-machine interface module. <laughs> That's very clever. Very cool. I, yeah. It's like, well, I didn't realize we needed that, but now I do, and I now see and can think of many uses for something like that. <laughs> That's pretty sweet, actually. Automotive grade. That means it won't disintegrate on contact Seriously. with humanity, at least in theory. Hey, what's going on? Uh, you said you found a quirk, or someone found a quirk in... Uh, QD OLEDs. It's just something I need to remind everybody about in terms of we've talked about OLED TVs in general probably not being your best option for a very bright room or just bright room viewing in general. There are better options for the money in terms of light output and managing the reflections that may occur with uh, light sources within the room. The one thing about the QD OLED panels, including the Samsung S95B as well as Sony's A95K, is that they do not actually use a polarizing filter within the display stack. 
unlike practically every other display, including LG's OLEDs as well. One thing that opens it up to is the fact that external light can actually affect the QD material in that Samsung uh, display design for the QD OLED TVs. Meaning that if you're looking at, say, the S95B side by side with something from LG's OLED lineup in a room that's well lit, I mean, very pretty well lit mm -hmm. anyway, and it has, say, black bars on it for the content you're watching, or it's relatively dark content anyway, the external light actually striking the panel will make that material glow elevate your black levels on something like a QD OLED TV compared to a regular nice. OLED TV. So I just wanted to make it a quick reminder that if you are finding yourself primarily watching TV in brightly lit environments or only during the day, you will get more bang for the buck going with something like an LCD TV that can dump out the light right. uh, and provide you with the similar color quality, hopefully. However, uh, if you do have a light-controlled environment, OLED's fantastic. It is arguably the finest thing you'll look at in a well-light-controlled environment in terms of your SDR or HDR experience. But that lack of a polarizer is kind of fascinating just in terms of a panel design. Yeah, I wonder what that's about. It probably helps to save money if you don't need it, absolutely. And uh, I hate to say it this way, but one thing about, say, an LG OLED is, is that if you wear sunglasses while trying to watch that TV, chances are you won't be able to see anything on the screen of an LG OLED because of that polarizer being literally 90 degrees well, to the orientation of most sunglasses to... or turn your head sideways. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you have to turn your head sideways. Or take your damn sunglasses off if you can. But either way, that's one thing then you could say that the QD OLEDs like Samsung's S95B, do not suffer from. But just realize that, yeah, the, the room light, if it's great enough, or if it's a source directed at the screen on one of those QD OLED TVs, it can literally cause it to glow and elevate your black level and ruin some of the contrast that you expect out of a display like that. We don't like it when our contrast is ruined. <laughs> no, oh, or man. elevated, or I should say the black level elevated, ruining contrast, not ruining, but, you know, degrading. Probably a little late to give everybody a heads up, but I literally just found out about this uh, in the last day or so. There's a new audio show, the Pacific Audio Fest. So if you're up in Seattle, uh, and I tweeted about this uh, in case anybody catches the tweet, but uh, PacificAudioFest.com is taking place uh, this weekend, the 30th and 31st, possibly other days, up in, uh, well, basically, I guess, SeaTac, technically, or a, a hotel outside of SeaTac. But a uh, ton of high-end vendors up there. You can find those up on PacificAudioFest.com and look under attendees. So uh, I'm, I hope they're doing well. I hope everybody goes, has a fantastic time. I hope nobody's in a tent getting rained on. That's a reference to another audio festival in the past. And, uh, you know, these are one of the best ways, or one of the only ways, I think, uh, to hear a lot of really high-end gear is to travel to a show like this. Um, unless, of course, you can travel to a vendor that keeps uh, the particular speakers, right. or, you know, amplifiers or whatever you're looking for in stock. Our next patron hangout is going to be for August 14th. And uh, so if you're in our 10 or $20 range, uh, you should get an invitation for that. As I may have mentioned earlier, do us a favor, message us on Patreon or email us to let us know if you're getting these invites because we want to make sure we don't have a glitch there. While we're talking about patrons, we're going to give a shout out to our next roundup of we basically we've been working through the list and thanking everybody on the show. Uh, we started with the very very first patrons we had, and we're now up to a November, late November, 2016. 
So a shout-out to Space Bruce, Arado949, Jason Portwood, Travis Ryan, Jim Karg, and Jeremy Friends for your long-standing patronage of the AVXL podcast. Thank you. And, uh, hey, if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash AVXL. Uh, and if you're just listening to this podcast for the first time, feel free to become a patron or search for AVEXCEL on your favorite podcatcher. Nice. That's LBD Wag tweeted suggestions on Blu-ray players. Uh, and on one hand, you know, if you got a cheap TV, just grab a cheap Blu-ray player from whatever's at Costco or Best Buy or wherever you're shopping. If you're in that sort of under $100 budget range, um, I probably shouldn't say that because uh, I had several cheap Sony Blu-ray players disintegrate over time, uh, possibly because of the temperature of the closet they were in. Not that it was that hot. Uh, so I personally, in low end, I've been using LGs. But if you started to get up to that $200 range, the one to beat is still Panasonic's DP UB420. There are a ton of you know best Blu-ray players 2022, but almost everyone I've seen is just a mishmash of stuff that's available on Amazon. And in some cases, they actually list players that kind of suck compared to other players. I think the last really good roundup I saw... Um, was uh, one Chris Heinonen did for Wirecutter. It's about a year old at this point, but really the, the, the player to beat is still Panasonic's DB-UB420. That was their choice. The big thing about that is the HDR optimizer feature, and it tweaks the high dynamic range video um, based on the level of brightness your TV can achieve. Uh, Chris said, quote, in our testing, this feature made HDR content look better on TVs that weren't as bright. And since most of us have TVs that aren't that bright compared to the ideal HDR spec, uh, it's a good option. It also does excellent upscaling for Blu-ray and DVD discs. Those are currently selling for about 220 to $250. Um, That's really cool, actually. Yeah. For any value, HDR TV in particular, right. that probably doesn't feature a great dynamic tone mapping system built into it for doing yeah. that sort of thing automatically. This is a player that could really compensate for that. However, the yeah. only thing I'm seeing is that there's no mention of support for Dolby Vision, unfortunately. Well, Maybe if your TV can go... do... Hold on. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> stop, sir. Okay. Stop, I say. Okay. If your TV can do Dolby Vision, then you want to spend another 200 bucks on what Panasonic's DB UB820. Understood. Uh, you could also, if you're completely unhinged, spend $1,100 on Panasonic's DP UB9000 P1K, which is uh, you know the rare updated Blu-ray player this year. But it's more of a specialty device, or if you're thinking of it as more of an audio source than a Blu-ray player, because they do like 7.1 channel analog RCA outputs from that. Right. It's got balanced XLR stereo analog outputs along with the unbalanced RCA, and it's freaking $1,100. But if that's your jam, it is there for you. Um, a lot of people do like Sony's uh, UBP X700, which does have Dolby Vision built in, HDR10 support. That's $180. That's what but I have. But I think for a lot of people, the features built into that Panasonic will, will take a little bit better care of you. Uh, it also will cost another 40 or 50 bucks. So, you know, if your television has Dolby Vision support, you're probably good to go with that UBP X700. Totally. I'd go with that Panasonic if I had like a value Samsung TV in particular Yeah, that doesn't and never will have Dolby Vision support. That might be the very best Blu-ray player you could possibly throw at it. 4K ultra high def Blu-ray player. <laughs> oh, man. With high bandwidth Dolby Atmos support. Not that compressed <laughs> Dolby Digital Plus version of Dolby Atmos. <laughs> you get the full true HD experience. 
I look forward to you ABing the compressed versus uncompressed version of Dolby Atmos for me. Hey, um, I just like seeing those know. high bit rates for video and I, audio. <laughs> I am I am down. I guess that is the whole point of owning the discs. I should just acknowledge that right now and back away slowly from my obnoxious ar- argument. Um, Clifford, a.k.a. Cliff H in NJ, tweeted, I was wondering if you knew when I plug my iPhone into my Pioneer Elite receiver via USB, is the iPhone's DAC being used or is it the internal DAC of the SCLX901, the receiver being used? Uh, I assume the ESS Sabre 32 Ultra DAC in the receiver is better. Thanks. Um, first thought, while all iPhones have some kind of DAC in them, because, right, all iPhones have a speaker in them, and, and this, by the way, applies for uh, Android devices too, if you're not using the headphone jack to output the audio from your phone, if you're using a USB-C cable or if you're using a lightning cable, you're essentially sending a digital output to the device that's actually playing back the audio. So if you connect your phone via USB, you're going to be using the DAC inside your receiver. The only way you're using the DAC inside the phone, other than the speaker in the phone, is if you're using, you know, ye old analog headphone jack output from the phone into an analog input on your receiver or amplifier. Right. You know, I will also say... There are many places that will tell you that, you know, their $3,000 USB DAC is a vast improvement over what's inside of your iPhone. But the reality is, is uh, Apple actually did a pretty good job with the DACs on those phones. The amps weren't as, as maybe powerful as, as a lot of people would have liked, but the DACs were actually pretty solid. The other thing is I've seen the benchmark numbers for that $9 USB uh, audio jack, the lightning to audio or the USB-C to headphone jack that Apple sells. And it, you know, if you don't need a lot of power to power your headphones, it is one of the great bargains in audio. It's like $9. I had something similar come with my Pixel phone. So it if, sucks. If I absolutely, Unless they've yeah, updated it. Exactly. The one, I, it's, it's, it's ironic because the one from, the one from, Apple actually benchmarks extremely well, and the one from Google, at least the last time I saw anybody run it on an audio analyzer, was atrocious by comparison. But Ouch. If, I hear if, you. If you want, it, it's Beware funny, right? Because they're it's both not like always yeah, the best way to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Audio Science Review did a pretty funny analysis on those. Uh, and I will also say, if you have headphones that require a decent amount of power, if they're planar magnetics, if they you know are a relatively high ohm rating. Or if you just want to have, you know, clean power, there's a lot of good options on that. And if you want me to talk about them, do me a favor, email ask at avxl.com. Oh, uh, we also got a confirmation from Jeremy Coggins, a.k.a. at True Crosswings, who tweeted, Can confirm Best Buy discontinued the TV calibration service in 2021. It is no longer offered. And if you're looking for uh, our recommendations on finding yourself a calibrator in your area, go listen to episode 188, where we get into that deep. Deep, I say. Heck yeah, (laughs) baby. Find somebody with the right gear. Or do it yourself. We cover both options in the previous episode. Or call me. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I'll get it done. Or call Rob. (laughs) <laughs> he will. The uh, I got to say, uh, I am I am really enjoying listening to Nick Offerman's reading of Tom Sawyer uh, via audiobook, and I have also been uh, listening to huge volumes of a band I believe from Philadelphia called Remember Sports. You can find pretty much all their work on Spotify, 
and uh, it's good stuff. I'm enjoying it. It's very indie pop. It's got a kind of a jangly thing that reminds me of uh, a lot of R.E.M. and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff um, that I won't get into right now. But uh, what are you watching? What's what's got you exciting on the uh, excited on the video front? I am actually. Uh... Correct me if I'm wrong, but Audio Science Review, isn't that a source you go to quite a bit? Uh, f- it is. For different things. They have a YouTube channel that I have since discovered. I have quote never unquote watched discovered. one of his videos. I go to his articles a lot. There are some things he do that I completely disagree with. I'm right. a patron of his website. Okay. He does a lot of things like creating complicated parametric equalizations and then deciding a headphone is okay because <laughs> if he parametrically equalizes it, it performs to his standards, which I think is ridiculous. Right. He's also doing a lot of work looking at things like amplifiers and DACs and looking at the noise levels. But there's this kind of subjectivist, objectivist audio reviewer thing where, where the, the subjectivist, the guys that list every piece of audio gear they own including the specific brands and lengths of their cables. Those are the guys who are like, oftentimes, not all of them, but sometimes, you know, those are the guys who, you know, the total clarity was not what I, you know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm going to start babbling here, but it's, it's really frustrating because at one hand you have people that are like, this is the most amazing speaker ever, but it's flawed or they use $6,000 worth of speaker cable with it to totally open it up, which is ridiculous. Um, because I've seen measurements on the audio. You, when you look at like measurements of cable, you'll find out things like, oh, it changes like one dB at this frequency level, right? Or, you know, if it's a particularly capacitive cable, it can do some squirrely stuff, I'm told. But generally speaking, cable, once you have a large enough cable so that it does not, you know, create a resistive load on your signal, there's not a whole lot of changes. And the changes it makes are very small and very narrow frequencies. The people who say that are also objectivists, and they use tools to measure things whenever possible. For example, the frequency range of a speaker, the distortion on the speaker. And the problem is, is that there are a lot of people that are demanding that any amplifier that less has less than 90 you know, dB synad is a piece of crap. And it's like, well, actually, most people can't tell the difference by 60 or 70 dB of synad, like in a blind A-B test. Now, right. if you have a $45,000 acoustic analyzer, um, yes, yes, you can definitely measure those differences, but you can make whether or not people charts. hear them, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I didn't mean to go off on that. Like, oh. I, I find it frustrating because a bunch of the people who have been like, we are sciencing and we are using incredibly sophisticated tools to measure things, once you get beyond 90 dB for a lot of measurements, it is inaudible. Nobody's ears that we know of can tell the difference. And you have things where products are getting dinged because they're not, you know, uh, it's it's i'm gonna stop speaking now because i've officially can tell i'm babbling i will just say that the audio uh, science review channel on youtube it has a few good videos that were just fun and if nothing else kind of calming interesting to listen to and a lot of it was stuff i already knew but it was also good just to have some uh have some confirmation about a few things as well in terms of the high level overview of design of components right there was some good information there I am also catching up on some Joe's classic video games. He was checking out one of the uh, Joust arcade machines that had an issue, and it just took me back to uh, (laughs) that particular arcade uh, game in general and just 
uh, some of the funny commentary on that video. I thought it was pretty cool. Also, I'm seeing a bunch of projector reviews going up right now in terms of JVC and Sony and their latest and greatest laser-based designs. I think there will be a small flood of good content related to that that will be available in the next few nice. days, in the next week or so. So I'll be sure to keep an eye on that. There's suddenly a good amount of three to $5,000 projectors out there that are very, very tempting. I, anyway, I'll get into it next week. <laughs> I'm just glad to see more of the reviews coming out, uh, in particular for some of those in that, that mid to premium category. I mean, granted, you know, that's, that's a good chunk of change, but projectors are just like cars. You it's can, nice when, you when can, products ship. You can have anything at any price, any price point almost. Yeah. I guess cars no probably isn't the best example. Well. And I should point out, I've bought at least two amplifiers based on audio science review reviews. So, you know, there's that to consider. Oh, very cool. <laughs> very cool. You know, I also really like amplifiers, but that's a incredibly weird discussion for another day. Oh, my goodness. Well, I need to uh, get back on the road because I need to be in Reno by Sunday. And it is uh, 1 o'clock on Saturday, so... I have a lot of driving to do, but uh, thanks to everybody who's been listening. Thanks to all of you who are patrons at patreon.com slash avxl. You make this show possible. Thank you. Indeed. that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. <laughs>